The following is an art and technology special by White Hot Magazine. Let me explain a bit about the guests today. The podcast will be hosted by Jacob Dwight, White Hot Magazine's art tech specialist. He's an artist in his own right and has been working in cryptocurrency and the digital sphere for a number of years now. Ann Spalter is a digital mixed media artist who founded the original fine arts program at Brown University's digital division and the Rhode Island School of Design, RISD, in the 1990s. She is known for large-scale installations and recent explorations in AI and crypto art. Benton C. Bainbridge is an American media artist known for creating single-channel video, interactive artworks, immersive installations, and live performances with custom digital, analog, and optical systems of his own design. Steve Sachs is the founder of BitForms, the first and to our knowledge only commercial gallery dedicated to representing, exhibiting, and selling the works of digital artists. This has been happening for 20 years, and a good portion of artists doing serious work in new media, filmic, televisual, light-based, and electronic art fields can be found at BitForms. We're honored to be joined by three digital electronic pioneers today. Your host for the discussion will be Jacob Dwight. Enjoy the broadcast. This is the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. Can you tell us, the listeners, a little bit more about your uh, practice and what in your practice led you to NFTs, but um, also how you got started in, in digital art? Um, definitely. I have been in digital art for so long that that would be a really long answer. So I started using the computer back in the early 90s and ended up teaching the first computer fine arts courses at Brown University and the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, and from that experience, because I couldn't find the resources I needed, I ended up writing a textbook called the mm. computer and the visual arts. So mm. I, I got in deep and, um, yeah. and really through that whole process began to appreciate the, the very powerful visual thinking tool that the computer provided for me. But my training was traditional at, at RISD, the Rhode Island School mm. of Design in painting and drawing. So I've always gone back and forth trying to combine those two different worlds. Um, mm -hmm. And so sometimes making imagery on the computer and then making an oil painting based on it or staying completely in the digital world with videos and projections and lately mm -hmm. NFTs. And so I've been doing that for decades now and mm -hmm. loving it. And maybe six months ago now or seven months, I was invited to be on a panel on super rare which is one of the nft sites about collecting nfts and at that point i literally did not know what nft stood for mm -hmm. and um and had never made one so i kind of jumped right in the deep end because i um, wanted to have some experience with it before i was on a panel about it made an nft and in the beginning i was extremely skeptical about it why would you want to own something that anyone can look at online. Um, mm -hmm. I had many questions and in the process of making NFTs and selling them, have had those questions answered and have really kind of fallen in love with the whole technical infrastructure and the community around it.
Um, and to follow that up, um, what are your general thoughts about the overall discourse or the evolution of the discourse and uh, our medium, uh, which is still called new media, even though we're, what, third wave, fourth, fourth wave? It's, it's really um, the tools that we use have been around for a while, but it's new in that in terms of paradigm, in terms of how people are accepting it from the collectorship to the, the viewership. Can you talk about what you feel about this moment and this technology for the overall um, and, and how you feel about, I guess, the, the weight and the, the perception of um, our field? Absolutely. Um, it's a great question because every few years something happens where I think now everyone's going to understand this and digital art mm -hmm. will be part of the regular art world and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all this hostility will be gone and then and i'm sure steve um, can speak to this as well and mm -hmm. then another five years goes by and there's still people telling me that you can't make art with a computer it's not real art i mm -hmm. still hear that from people mm -hmm. and recently i was in a twitter exchange where someone said you know because digital art is new and I almost lost my mind. So it's right. a little bit frustrating <laughs> for those yeah, of right. us that have been in the field forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But once again, I am hoping that this is the moment because a ton of money is coming into this and mm -hmm. where there's that you know flow of funds, there's also serious interest and credibility because mm -hmm. that's how our society works. Mm -hmm. um, the blockchain gives people a way to sell and collect and look at digital art that um, guarantees scarcity or has, you know, basically a built-in certificate of authenticity with the piece. Mm -hmm. And also extremely exciting to me is the ability to have generative artwork on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, so I also, with uh, Michael Spalter, we have a large collection of early computer art and much of that is generative in nature. Um, okay. And when those artists made those works, they were created from code, printed out on a plotter usually, and they mm -hmm. met with a level of hostility that I think is hard for people to comprehend today. Mm -hmm. um, Manfred Moore, who's one of the artists we collect, literally had yeah. someone throw a tomato at him when he gave a talk. Really? Um, yeah, Jean-Pierre Hébert, who makes incredibly beautiful work, uh -huh. um, finally went to a gallery and didn't tell them he was using the computer because he was tired of being, mm. you know, thrown out of places. And uh, mm -hmm. when they found out at the end that it was a computer, they mm. literally physically escorted him out of the gallery. So oh it's been so challenging and for these artists that have worked for decades making these amazing works and then mm -hmm. being really like reviled by groups of people. But sure. um, the generative artwork that's coming out on the blockchain, the reception is completely different. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's um, it's like maybe the moment has arrived and people so, are yeah, making yeah. things and minting groups mm -hmm. of like 600 works from a generative algorithm and mm -hmm. selling them out in a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. So as someone who's, you know, followed these long arcs of these careers and has been a collector, mm -hmm. it's just incredibly exciting to see not only just acceptance, but really great enthusiasm for this type of work. Steve, can we kind of follow up with the same question? How do you, how do you feel about this moment in the overall um, discourse and the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the evolution of 
you know, so-called new media and, and digital art, electronic art, um, where yeah. we, you place it in the old, overall evolution? Well, again, as Anne was saying, you know, I started the gallery around 20 years ago and we've been promoting and working with artists who are in the, are in the field of new media for a long time. So again, you know, a lot of what's being done today is exciting. There's a huge level of acceptance and um, awareness. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a, there's an incredible lack of understanding and education about what what has happened in the past. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have artists, you know, from Manfred Moore, which Anne mentioned, who's 84 years old, right? Um, who's been doing this since the 60s. Right. And yeah, we've sold millions of dollars worth of file based art. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been a, a very normal thing for our gallery to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, so, so on one hand, it's incredibly exciting that it, it's, it's being accepted. On the other hand, there has to be, uh, which I'm glad we're doing this because I think there needs to be a real education as to uh, the many, many artists that have been doing this for years. Many, many artists that have been doing this for years. Correct, and, yes. Um, and also, I mean, I think what I'm seeing in, in the marketplace now with these platforms Mm -hmm. is not really something that we would typically even show at the gallery. These are like clips and JPEGs and, mm -hmm. you know, we have long format, well thought out, thought out pieces that are part of a much bigger practice. Yes. And um, my, my instinct is to stay focused on that and to, and to start to figure out the best way to actually um, present these more, um, you know, long format. Mm -hmm. And that touches on a question that I had prepared for kind of everyone to kick off our discussion. Um, so before I, I, I get to that and picking that back up, can you just get into what uh, your, your own personal path and what inspired you to start the gallery and how you got into digital art? And then also, like I said, how, what has driven you to stick with it, even though, I mean, you, it's 20 years now and you're still... <laughs> yeah. One of the what Lily and I were talking about is like, what? How did he stick with it this long, and why <laughs> did he not catch up? It's like I began digital art thinking in 1999. Uh, I went to a gallery in uh, a museum in Barcelona, and I saw mm -hmm. Kentridge, and I saw animation for the first time in a yeah. gallery and or in a museum, and then I went down the street to uh, gallery gallery Ferran Cano. And they had uh, Eloise Pouge, who was a, a digital artist, and he had prints, mm. and was a very graphic artist in a museum. So I was like, as a 19-year-old kid, I was like, okay, like this is going to be everywhere <laughs> by 2010, you yeah. know, and painters will, will be switching over. So, so yes, can you tell our listeners just about what led you into it and yeah, I mean, before I opened the gallery, I was the co-founder and creative director of a company called Digital Pulp, which okay. was, was kind of unique in its own way. I mean, it was kind of a uh, an agency that was specifically geared towards this, um, you know, the, at the time, uh, the dot-com generation, which was just basically getting started in the mid-90s. And I was very intrigued with that. Uh, new type of business and new way to, to market and sell 
And it was an incredible experience because I got to work with basically under one roof, creatives and programmers brainstorming and coming up with interesting ideas on how to work with this new platform, which was the internet. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it just got me excited. And we did very well. We grew the company to like 50 people. And after around five years, I kind of got burnt out and I left the company mm -hmm. and I was just looking for things to do. And I was always interested in art. My family was in the art business. My dad was a dealer, mm -hmm. um, more in the uh, kind of antiquities realm, but, but I was still surrounded by art growing up. And there were many shows starting to pop up in, in the year 2000. Um, one was a Bitch Dreams at the Whitney. Uh, there mm -hmm. was the 0001 show in SFMOMA. There was the uh, Brooklyn Museum had this digital art printmaking. And I was just like checking all this stuff out. And, and it really just, just connected with me. And after this experience with Digital Pulp, it, it just... Um, and also my, my art background, it mm -hmm. just, I don't know, something came over me, like, I think I should do something <laughs> like really focused on this new media and experimental media. And mm -hmm. I went for it. And I basically looked for space in Chelsea. And we opened up at a pretty rough time, man. It was like, uh, literally, um, like a month, uh, two months after 9-11. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah the I won't forget that. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was a really rough beginning, but I, I always felt that, you know, the concept was strong. These artists were of the moment. They were, mm -hmm. they were most definitely, you know, capturing what was happening in, in their individual culture at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was very important for the gallery to, to represent, um, a range of artists, you know, from, from different generations, because new media, of course, is interpreted differently for each generation. Um, so, you know, we, as things started, as things evolved, we, we, we tried to keep bringing on um, artists who were dealing with different aspects of new media. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there's always these moments. I mean, remember, like, even like the internet, you know, this whole post-internet generation of artists also evolved during the gallery. So we've really seen quite a bit uh, of movement and change over the course of the 20 years. Um, but really, the goal is always to stay consistent with the program, always look for, like, you know, the next generation, the next um Kind of tool that's being used to represent what's happening in the world and mm -hmm. and now of course this nft madness is kicking in so mm -hmm. we're we're certainly studying that very closely definitely great and so benton can you tell our listeners a little about yourself and your practice and uh what led you to nfts and or just uh i guess smart contract blockchain and everything yeah uh well actually for the record um i still haven't done an nft for my own work mm -hmm. um, i do collect some work which is represented by nfts or substantiated okay. is a term i like to use um mm. but i personally think that nfts are still a work in progress that's part mm -hmm. of a total ecosystem that hasn't totally developed yet um, sure. and 
Um, I see a few pieces that I, I, I like to fall into place before I put my work uh, wholeheartedly into this ecosystem. Um, but mm -hmm. I have been involved with decentralized art for some time, um, I guess about seven years now or something like that. Um, so, and primarily uh, exploring um, what Eric Drayson, who uh, co-founded co an early effort with me called Moving Pictures, um, mm -hmm. what we coined the term, he says I coined it, I think he coined it, uh, but substantiating ethereal art is really what my interest is in, mm. uh, in NFTs and the whole decentralized ecosystem as applied to art. Um, so as far as my background, basically um, I knew that I wanted to be a video artist at the age of six. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a product of the successful uh, indoctrination by American public television, uh, starting with Electric Company. I would see the animations of words done mm -hmm. uh, with the Scanimate, a very early analog computer that came out in uh, the mid 60s from mm -hmm. computer image that was used for doing these real time animations. And then when I was a little bit older, I was um, eating up all of the video art that I would see on PBS from Nam Pak. Um, you know, Mary Lucier, John Sanborn, other artists who would show on public television. So by mm. the time I was a teen, I really knew that this is what I wanted to do. But at first I just had access to uh, film equipment. And mm. so um, I did play, I did get a super great film camera and uh, I pretty much like threw myself into video one day when I had been practice, practicing piano and uh, I got on my bicycle and bicycled down to the drugstore where I picked up my film that had gone to the lab, Kodak lab in Rochester. Bicycled back home, threaded in the projector and everything was like underexposed, out of focus, wrong color. Mm. And I said to my mom, mom, how could I ever learn to play piano if I had to wait a week for the notes to come back from the lab? And this was <laughs> significantly like why at 15, I was like, you know what? It's all about electronic moving image, the electronic signal uh, and the mm. real-time manipulation with it because that's how I think you become uh, adept at a format. It's just by working with the medium over mm. and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's my background, how I got into all this. As far as the uh, decentralized world, um, I don't know. Do you, do you want me to just, you, the second question was, where are we in this moment? Is that what you said? Yeah, that, that was the question. And we can go ahead and um, get to opening up the, the floor to everyone and for you guys to kind of talk more amongst yourselves and revisit one another's points. But yeah, the second question was, where do you put this in the, the overall discourse? Yeah. Uh, you know, like Steve was saying, it is, it is kind of, bittersweet in a way like okay we've been out here for you know 20 years like it's this is not this is just a to us a kind of a small little shift the the i think the most important part is the fact that people are paying attention that there is a 6.6 million dollar precedent right set. 
Um, um, certainly the money attracts attention to it. And so many people, media artists I've been speaking to about the potentials of these technologies for years. Um, you know, it's only starting in November when people made those first big sales that they were finally like, wait a second, there mm -hmm. is something to this. Right. People should be paying attention, right? Right. Um, yeah. And even the people who most stood to benefit from it, um, you know, don't always get involved in it. So I think that one thing in terms of our broader community, I would say the significance of this moment is as Justin pointed out in part one, like now is the time for artists, serious artists to, to jump into this field, explore it and to sub substantiate the, mm. the NFT, NFTs with good art behind it, right? So ironically, mm. NFTs help, are helping to substantiate an ethereal art form, digital mm. media art, right? And mm. now, uh, in my opinion, we are flipping the coin to the other side of the symbiotic relationship because we mm. wouldn't be here talking if it were not for the fact that people jumped into this fray, right? And it was really his 13 years as a, a digital media artist committed to digital media art, mm -hmm. right? Not mm -hmm. saying like, how can I make prints out of this? How can I mm -hmm. um, figure some other way to, to you know, sell my art? Um, he, once he jumped into it, that serious sweat equity, right? That's mm -hmm. what really actually gave these valuations to the NFT. Yes. And that's, that is, you know, complete respect to him. And, you know, he definitely put in the work, whatever you want to say about the price. And right. actually the, the 6.6 .6 million, when you break that down, divided by 5,000 pieces comes out to like $1,320 or something like that. Right. Which is about reasonable for a graphic designer, you know. Well, I don't, um, think, that, I don't think that was Jacob. I think the 6.6 .6 was for a one piece. I don't think that right. was the, the piece that's at Christie's mm. now is the mm. one that's broken up into 5,000. Oh, I see. I see. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that yeah. One, the auction hasn't ended for that yet. I don't know what mm. the number is. It says like two or three million, though, already. Oh, yeah. already. Okay. Well, the this segues into and, and kind of doubles back into kind of what Steve was saying and, and what Benton, what we're all thinking, which is the, 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 the disparity in the quality from mm -hmm. what we're used to versus, I mean, you know, people uh, describes himself as a political cartoonist, which mm -hmm. none of us would ever <laughs> say necessarily. Um, and so I think that is, it is, a, it is a, a good precedent in that it does leave room now for, okay, here's like what Steve was saying, here's actual good art or here's transformative art that has so much depth to it, you know, that it, it, it's another whole nother experience. So yeah. well, can we all speak on that? Yeah, I mean, there's, well, first of all, I mean, the, the, the typical buyer right now is not really, um, I would say art savvy. It, it's more, I mean, a lot of these, the, the, the big money is being driven by this, uh, trying to add credibility to this cryptocurrency. You know, there's, there's mm -hmm. these multi multi-millionaires and the thousands that have been created and 
it's exciting. It's incredible. I think something good will happen. But right now, okay. it's it's really about how they're spending their money versus what what how much they're understanding about what they're buying. Mm-hmm. And and this quick quick flipping mentality about buying and selling, buying and selling is super dangerous. It it adds no value to the art, and mm-hmm. and is setting a very bad precedent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's the one thing I, I don't like, I despise about the art world in, in the more traditional sense, which mm-hmm. it's funny because it's the opposite. In the traditional art world, it's probably a smaller percentage who do the flipping game, where in mm-hmm. this world, it seems to be kind of the main focus. That's what it's for, it seems like, right? So the finan- that, that's kind of a turnoff for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that being said, you know, it's it's total Wild West. It's new. It's It's, you know, people don't know that the artists that I represent exist, at least they don't know most of them. And mm. um, it, it's, and also the valuation is is over the top. I mean, you know, buying a JPEG or a, a, a 20 second clip for X amount of money, again, when I look at the prices that we're selling work for, it doesn't equate, it doesn't really work out. Right. And, and it's-, um, it's because there's no, there's no connection to the past. And again, maybe that'll help increase the value of the artists I work with. That'll be great. Um, but right now, the value system is kind of off. It doesn't really connect with the the, um, the history of the artists. And uh, that's- Can I yeah. comment on those points as sure. well? I think sure. um, it is true that there's a wide variety of types of images that are out there if you go on any of the major sites but i think it's a little bit of a red herring because if you look at the art world not all galleries are high-end galleries like steve's you can see a lot Mm, of really um things that you might not consider great artwork out there in the art world and for sale on various websites so it's it's different because maybe you're looking at it all together and you don't know the space or the people so you're just seeing this mass of images but I don't think it's actually so different from mm. the physical art world. And good there is good art out there. So it's not true that it's all, um, mm-hmm. you know, 3D rendered naked women with stuff mm. flying out of their boobs. And, you know, like there's a lot of obviously like, is, where young is this? male artwork. Where, where can I find this picture? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, I, yeah, well, that, that sells that, for a ton of money, but there is really yeah. good artwork being created. I know because I'm collecting mm. it, and mm-hmm, it's mm. definitely out there. And but I think it's it's kind of um, exactly the same as the beginnings of computer art when people had shows that combined mm-hmm. artists' work with engineers who were doing more visual experimentation. Mm-hmm. And it was a way for the art world to write off the entire movement because they said, oh, look, it's not really art because obviously this isn't art. It's just a perceptual mm-hmm. experiment. But um, but the art is out there. So I'm hoping that that does not happen again. And, and, uh, kind of a follow up question to mean or, you know, yeah. Does it matter? Does it matter that there's not good art, you know, or that? Well, there's yeah. Not enough- you know, it's like, it, it, but there is good art. So when, I, I think there is good. Yeah, art. Yeah, there is. There. But I'm just saying that would it matter if because it's still we can do what we have to do individually. It's fine. There's enough for, you know, it's it's. Um, but I think it does raise an interesting, interesting question about just quality and aesthetic sensibility and um, 
against value. And so the next question would kind of be touching on, Steve, what you were saying, just the dangers of this, which you were saying the financialization and the Mm -hmm. flipping, which in our world is a no-no. What, what don't you like about the flipping, Steve? Because on the in the NFT world, the artists get a percentage every time the work resells and it drives up their kind of floor price for their work. Okay. So I feel like artists have actually really benefited from the flipping. Well, first of all, that's not true all the time. I, I've heard numerous platforms not guarantee that because if it's not within the same wallet and someone moves um, into a dis- different platform, the artist, um, doesn't get the the residuals yeah it depends on uh, the contract it's true but but in general that's, you know, that's a brilliant concept and i'm hugely supporting of that i'm not supportive of this concept of there's no emotional connection to the work there's basically no presentation of the work in in any emotional way environmental way in in terms of living with it appreciating it and by the way it doesn't mean that's just what it is i just don't think you know, the artists that I work with have a different um, aspiration for their work. Um, It doesn't mean that they're not gonna do some work that's short format that may be part of this culture, but the, this flipping mentality, the lack of care of presentation um, and presentation is, is really um, something that's the antithesis of of what I think art should be. Well, just, I mean, I've been making NFTs now and I've sold, I think 25 or 26 through Super Rare. And the people that have collected them have have not been like that at all. They've been super appreciative. I get emails how much they're enjoying the work. I've gotten emails from people saying they've had bids on the work and they're not gonna sell it because they like it so much. That's great. So I think yeah, I that- hope, I hope that continues. I mean- There's I'm, a range of types of collectors and level of work that's out there and it's not all it's not all people just buying it to make a buck. In fact, that if you are is sort of in the crypto artwork community on Twitter, the people are very enthusiastic about the space, very friendly, very supportive of each other, and artists Absolutely. collect each other's work. Which yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Obviously, um, they are only collecting work that they like. I'm assuming. But um, so I think there is actually a really positive community out there, maybe in addition to these things that you're mentioning. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's all negative. I'm saying there's there's much more of the flipping mentality than I've ever seen in an art environment. That's all. Um, the other thing is currently, you know, there's there's it's just very restrictive as to what is being presented in terms of the NFTs, whether they're JPEGs or low res JPEGs or very small animations. There's just um, a constraint that's being well, I don't know if it's a constraint, but it seems to be in terms of what, you know, how far the artist can go with this kind of work. Yeah. Which Some artists is, give a high-res file in addition. So you buy the NFT and then you're sent. You have an unlockable folder. Yeah. The, you know, an MOV file or. Yeah. 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 No, which, which is great. But yeah, there are definitely technical things that are still being worked out for sure. Yeah. 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 So that's the other thing is just making sure that there's no constraints because again, the artists I work with, I mean, you know, it's, you don't want to have constraints when you're developing your work. Absolutely. But it would be amazing to have artists from your gallery enter into that space. I think they'd actually really enjoy it. 
No, they are. Some of them are, but I'm, I want to do it where I'm actually releasing their inventory that they've created over the past 20 years versus making work just for this, the mm. platform as it exists now. Yeah. Because that's hard. Digital and it's totally can be. Because of file size um, and such. Yeah, yeah. It may have to be again uh, on a uh, unlockable folder that they have access to after they acquire the work, but that's what I'm personally leaning towards in, in what we're going to do at the gallery. But individually, the artists, which I think has been great, have been empowered to kind of do their own thing and, and see what works for them. Uh, I just, just want to jump in on this point as far as like why I got involved in the space. It was um, for, for on a personal level as an artist who like people, not that I'm like people, but like who didn't want to um, figure out how to present my art in a gallery context and sell in that market by doing prints. Um, you know, to, to me, that's, that's what people would say. I teach at School of Visual Arts, MFA Computer Arts, and even now my students who you would think might want to just dive in head first here, they're still not entirely seeing their work in a fine art kind of context, right? As a collectible, um, as, mm. as they can make and have be collected. So I was interested, as soon as I learned about Bitcoin, I, I was in an artist collective in 2009 and we were fascinated by Bitcoin. And what was significant about it, uh, I don't think has been discussed in part one, uh, and, and now, but I think it is important to talk about what hashing does, right? Which is that a hash is a, a series of math operations. It's an algorithm that yields a unique code for any digital file. That digital file could be, you know, a huge file, um, like, you know, 20, a quarter century of episodes of The Simpsons, or it could be a text file saying, hello, comma, world. Right, um, but you always get a, a unique hash out of it. Um, and what that hash does is that's when people say provably rare, you'll, you'll hear that in the NFT world, that's what they're referring to. The fact that you can have a unique hash and then you can run that file through the algorithm again and you can get the same hash to say, this is the NFT and you timestamp it by putting it on an, an Ethereum blockchain or some other network. Um, so that, that quality is, is what substantiates the art. And then as far as to Anne's point, as far as artists collecting each other, that's something that this technology does enable that, um, that was not happening before. Right, I, that's part of my reason to be involved in this space. Like I was like, why don't I have artists who are painters in a given movement, they might be trading paintings, right? Here, I'll trade you one painting for another. That was not happening in my community of, uh, of media artists. So that's a, a concrete good that's coming out of this, uh, this new movement. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think part of that is just the, the ease of transactions and some of the huge amount of money that's flooding in. Some of it is maybe people that became multimillionaires through, through the tech world. But some of it, I think, is really pent up demand for art from people that 
don't know how to buy art because buying art is this weird, weird process mm -hmm. where you, you go in a gallery and someone sort of looks at you funny and there's no prices on anything and you have to ask for a list. And it's, um, it's a very bizarre process that sort of like if you went in a, you know, Turkish bazaar, you know, you wouldn't know how to negotiate and buy a, a carpet or something. Buying art is a strange thing. It's not obvious how to, how to do it. But everyone knows, you know, how to use Amazon. Everyone knows you can click and put something sort of in your basket and check it out and own it. And I think it's so exciting to have it be that easy. So it's really, it's attractive. Well, almost not easy, and It's yeah. not quite that easy. Yeah, it's true. Getting set up with cryptocurrency. But some sites now take credit cards. It's true. As well. And uh, so I think there's just, there's people that really wanted to own art but weren't owning it that are excited and kind of rushing into the space and they do need to be educated maybe in in what they're purchasing but it's also kind well, of exciting and and nice to see that people are are so excited to own this visual thing and look at it and share what they've collected with other people and you know think, so, um, i'm sorry Anne. sorry go ahead oh, i'm saying what what what's uh, i just thought of something interesting because what happened yesterday um because what I'm thinking that's starting to happen, which is also um, a really positive thing for the artists, is it becomes uh, almost a, a marketing mechanism for further insight into their larger practice. Because mm. most, most of my artists, I would say almost all of them, have a pretty wide range of media in, in, in their practice. And for example, Jonathan Monaghan, he, he posted a few things on Foundation one of these guys, uh, he, he lost the bid, but he wound up contacting the gallery and he came in yesterday and he's probably gonna buy a print. Awesome. So that to me is huge because mm -hmm. it, it, again, what I was talking about earlier about these constraints of, of presentation, you know, you just, it, it's very different seeing work in person that's physical, right? Mm -hmm. And And we sell a lot of that and artists produce a lot of that. And I think, for me, it's really important to figure out how to extend what's happening in this NFT world back into this physical space. Mm, that kind of leads into something else I wanted to talk about, kind of the, in getting back to the art experience itself and the fact that I think what kind of why the the Beeple sale was kind of bittersweet to me, part you know, partly because of what we talked about earlier, Steve, is like, you know, um, being in the space for a minute, <laughs> like this is what I've been talking about for all these years. And now finally, you know, people get it. But what was also kind of bittersweet, well, I was just like, are people going to lose? What are we additionally losing in art experience? We've already lost so much with, um, you know, people watching films that were made for these huge, 30 by 70 screens. I mean, filmmakers train to make work on those sizes, yeah. those scales. And their their works are being, quote unquote, disrespected, <laughs> you know, down to a handheld device or um, so I, I kind of mm -hmm. when I when I heard the news, I've, I was was a little disturbed by the fact that, oh, is this it now? Are people going to just think art is lives in these spaces and not pay attention to analog to these sculptures and to murals that are supposed to be pretty much immersive you know and you have to walk around them to yeah yeah um, 
Yeah. So can we talk, I mean, kind of talk about the art experience in the collectorship? And I mean, for me, it's essential and I'm, I'm not giving that up at all. I mean, and my mm -hmm. artists are super keen on, you know, coming up with the most interesting ways to present their work. We're doing a cool show now that opens Saturday with Aurea Harvey, who has sculpture. Uh, we're doing a, a, a custom video presentation on a circular screen. Um, we're bringing up old internet pieces. You know, this stuff has to be experienced in person. Mm -hmm. And not that a part of the practice can't be, you know, infused into this NFT world, but, you know, we're also, we keep forgetting, you know, we're still in the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. So I think, of course, this is kind of on hyper speed right now because people are looking to have experiences you know, without being outside with, with, with their computer, mm -hmm. with their phone. Mm -hmm. So I think once COVID is, is contained, there will be um, a new surge of interest in, in going back out and, and, and reconnecting with uh, immersive experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> and, yeah. And physical objects, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. What, yeah, what I the, totally agree. The, the part um NFT, I had not been as familiar with. My studies uh, on the blockchain were into what, what they call security tokens, which are um, actually more, less risk because they're actually, they represent, they're avatars for real world objects. So this represents a house or this represents a painting or a sculpture somewhere. And so investor confidence is a lot higher and it's a little bit easier to explain and security tokens fit under um, uh, SEC laws more easily and, and you know, trading laws. They're already doing it in you know, Switzerland is completely supported by the government and legal um, and some other countries in Asia. And so to me, that was the kind of connect from the blockchain to a physical object. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm just really interested to, to see how things develop um have, have you guys do you know much about security tokens or i i don't know is that like verisart oh verisart maybe i think so yes i think so um there is a token estate is you're a muted. Real you're estate. muted benton i'm muted oh there you now i hear you <laughs> yeah. So, yeah um actually if i may jump in here so um Actually, an NFT can represent a digital artwork or it can represent a physical artwork. It does not have mm, to mm, represent. Mm, an NFT mm. really, um, I, it's, it's a token, right? Which basically mm. means like, uh, you know, when you go to Chuck E. Cheese's and you buy the tokens, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. that, right? On, mm -hmm. And the, one, the NFTs that we're all talking about are on the Ethereum network. Okay, so mm -hmm. basically Ether, the currency of the Ethereum network, you mm -hmm. can mint your own tokens. It's, it's not very difficult to do it, um, mm -hmm. to, to do any, any token. The former token standard was called ERC-20, and that's for things like, um, you know, uh, like starting a company, they used to call it ICOs, Initial Coin Offering, right? And as an investment vehicle, and then the SEC jumped in and they, they kind of were uh, 
putting a clamp on on that enthusiasm and a lot of people got fined a lot of money mm. um so but the what's unique about the erc 721 the nft is that uh unlike the any other token like it has it's it's not fungible it's not exchanged for any other token that you just close your eyes and reach into a bucket and grab, right? It has a specific relation to something else. It's unique. So um, that's why it's useful for art. And that relationship could be with a, a, you know, a physical artwork or a digital artwork. I, to your, the comment you made earlier, Jacob, about like how, um, I don't know the word you use, but basically I would rephrase it as, uh, I heard it as like, it's more traditional and therefore understandable that Mm -hmm. a, a token that refers to something that you can hold in your hand, right? Or a piece mm -hmm. of real estate, that mm -hmm. that seems more secure. But mm -hmm. uh, in fact, like something that's digital, because of this print, this technology of the hash, is mm -hmm. actually more secure, right? So mm -hmm. let's use an example of a painting. We all, you know, we know that there are forgeries, um, you know, mm -hmm works are misrepresented. Oh, I found some Rothko's in my basement, you know, like, right. uh, and then an expert comes along and says, yeah, those are Rothko's, you know, the, yeah. you, if the technology is used properly, you actually eliminate that doubt completely with these. Mm. And this is what I'm waiting for because it's not being implemented quite right, quite yet. Mm -hmm. um, so you can take any digital file and you can get this unique fingerprint that says without a doubt that is that work and so you can buy something that says i have that work right it, it, there's no doubt there's no question mark the only doubt is who did the person who say they made it really make it right mm, yeah, that's okay. interesting that's actually um i just spoke to someone yesterday saying like what's stopping people from grabbing JPEGs from the internet and, and minting them on OpenSea? Uh, forget about OpenSea. Even these curated platforms have people on there who are putting work that uh, is actually other artists' work and they're representing as their own by yeah, yeah. minting OpenSea open seems more uh, or less curated, so easier to do in a way, I guess. Mm, well, uh, Without, either way, either way, yeah, it's bad. But you can, <laughs> right. you can validate it because each artist has a unique address. Right. So as Anne says, we all can have a unique address. But Anne, the thing that's happening both on OpenSea and on these curated platforms is that people are presenting works and saying, look at this cool NFT that I minted and they didn't actually make the artwork. Right? Yeah. This is another reason I'm not diving in at first. We just, mm -hmm. you know, well, I think it's, it's something, um, what's thought, what I think is going to happen is there will have to be some uh, possible validation of identity before the minting occurs. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know, I can't remember what I did online, but I had to give them my, my photograph of my passport or my license um, with another proof of ID. I mean, it may lead to something like that that's, if it gets too crazy. That's what Justin was saying. There is something like that. Um, he, was say, he was saying it was three or four days. Um, it's basically a background check kind of thing. 
yeah. where I, and I don't he didn't go specifically into it, but it could be, you know, a combination of Google's Google search and this and that, you know, looking at your CV or looking, you know, I don't know what it is, but um, there is something like that I, that he mentioned. Jacob, yeah. there are people working on the uh, the ecosystem or the, the, the uh, system of technologies that will support digital personas, okay? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not entirely, uh, now I'm not going to say good or bad, right? Nor bad, like, but mm -hmm. that this is a problem that's been worked on from well before NFTs, um, you know, look at mm -hmm. uh, U-Ports, um, you know, there's like a lot of other uh, examples where people are saying, let's solve this problem by mm -hmm. having people not be anonymous. Another misunderstanding about cryptocurrencies and that blockchain, right, is, oh, it's all anonymous. It's like, it's the opposite. Everything is completely public. Every transaction, every contract, every artwork mm -hmm. is up on the blockchain, right? So, mm -hmm. but... I don't know. I think we, I have two thoughts. The first is we have to kind of start getting serious and cleaning our own house, right? Like mm -hmm. these artists are like, who've done this are amongst the top sellers on the curated platforms, you know? Um, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna um, name it in this, in this uh, context, but you know, we have to take things really seriously. Like if, um, if we want, people to adopt this platform, we have to be, you know, really honest. And then the other thought I have is, and this is my, why I got into this space, but you know, my background is basically um, what some people are calling signal culture, right? It's the, it's the public and live creation of the media art, right? And so I would say, not that everybody has to do, you know, make art and share art like, like, um, you know, this community that I'm a part of. But I do think nonetheless that being public about the work and, you know, doing things like saying, this is how I made this work, right? Because, mm. you know, and then take, if you're a collector, take those artists seriously. Don't just buy willy-nilly whatever you see out there, you know, ensure that you are buying artwork from an artist who's legit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um my last uh, kind of question, I, I think we can wrap up with just kind of a, a summary of all of your uh, projections. What are your hopes for this? What do you think are some use cases that could be cool or beneficial going forward? Uh, what are your fears? We've already touched on some of them, um, but we'll start with that same order and start with Anne. Um, my... My hope is that not only does this now kind of separate art world continue to thrive and grow and mature, but that it has a positive influence on the traditional art world in terms of its transparency and ease of selling and collecting. And I hope that um, the NFT world solves its crazy energy usage. Yes, we didn't problem, talk about that. <laughs> which there are solutions that have been probably um, going to be implemented in the very near future that will dramatically change that. But right now, it's yeah. still an issue. Um, mm -hmm. And I hope that it encourages more people to share their artwork. There's a lot of people that make great things that would never mm -hmm. consider themselves artists or try to show in a gallery. And I think it opens up a world to them that's really exciting and brings in more collectors as well.
so that it just expands people's um, joy of making art and collecting it. Um, I guess I would summarize and say that I feel that it's important to understand that people who created these platforms, uh, that their motivations uh, somewhat align with ours, right? The artists and it's important to be clear on where the alignment is and where the disconnect is. And um, I guess, you know, already I brought up the point about, you know, make sure that this is legitimate artwork that you're purchasing because the people who created these platforms for the most part don't really know art. This was brought up in part one by Justin, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, and, uh, but likewise, I would say, let us not have our art world blinders because the, the pent up demand as Anne is saying, right? It, this is real, right? This, we, just because we're older and like to live in physical space, I mean, aesthetic enjoyment is in the, you know, the hands of the beholder, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're getting all of your aesthetic thrills out of looking at a phone, then it's just as real for you. So be it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think we can't put our, uh, you know, our preconceptions on, on what gives art its aura, right? Mm -hmm. What gives art its aura is maybe this is a very base kind of thing, right? But you don't have to fly as the Carters did to the Louvre to shoot your music video with the Mona Lisa. You just have, because everybody can see the Mona Lisa, right? Anybody can see the Mona Lisa. She's everywhere because her simulacra are everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. But only one person can hold that, can own that. And that's Honestly, <laughs> that's the, the, the new thing, right? This is the way people are thinking. And we, to some degree, that attitude is, at least for now, prevailing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just gonna reiterate what I was saying earlier. I think, you know, we've been doing this a long time and I, I just wanna educate these new collectors that there has been a history of incredible media art that's been developed over the years and they should be looking at these artists seriously and they should be considered when they're you know looking to to get into this nft world um that being said i'm also very intrigued as to what will come of this just like we we been watching every every evolution over the years and how it impacts culture how it impacts artist practice um it's something where we're going to look at and see how that could integrate integrate into the gallery system um but you know there, there's this whole argument about you know are the galleries important and you know that example i just gave you a couple of minutes ago with the collector wanting to see more work is something we're gonna continue pushing and continue um, fostering within the program is to make sure that, you know, whatever's coming out right now has a connection to a deeper body of work that some of these artists have been working on for 10, 20, 30 years. And, yeah. and that's the goal of the gallery is to show that credibility, that history um, and this just deep content that's been created. 
So uh, thank you all. That was uh, that's great information, and I um, kind of share pretty much everyone's thoughts. <laughs> you know, they, there's no um, certainty, and I, I it definitely is kind of this wild um, avant-garde frontier, but not avant-garde in that we have been doing it for a while. <laughs> but um, so thank you all, and um, yeah, I would like to talk to you all in, in the future about cool. more and keep Thank watching you. this. If you like what you've been hearing, you can donate to this podcast. You can visit us on the web at whitehotmagazine.com and you can listen to the other episodes and subscribe. You can also rate this podcast. We hope you're having a wonderful March, and we'll see you around the art world. I'm Noah Becker, the host of White Hot Magazine, the Art World podcast.